Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a 20-minute high-intensity episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the themes of the day. Well, I'm here this afternoon with my friend, Mr. Jeff Boyle. How are you doing, Jeff? Very good, and yourself? I'm excellent. I say friend. I use that loosely. This is the second time we've met. But as two sales guys, which is about what we're going to talk about today, we've seemed to get along like two peas in a pod. So I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Definitely, definitely. Quick connection. Yes, absolutely. The art of it. You work at Venture Technologies. So before we get dive into what we're going to talk about today, which is business development, and as we move through and out of, hopefully I'm being very optimistic of this current crisis that we're all in, what does the world of B2B sales look like? But let's everybody uh, take a little peek. What's Venture Technologies all about? Uh, Ventry is a, it's a pretty cool company. So it's been around for a bit. Uh, at some point, you have to stop calling yourself a startup. So we're a Calgary-based emerging technology. We've got uh, offices in Calgary and Houston. And uh, the pain and problem that we address is the fact that the energy industry has been building a lot of amazing infrastructure over the last handful of decades. And these are these are critical components. They're pipelines, they're facilities, they're refineries, they're power plants. And the one interesting thing about them is when they get constructed, there's a ton of data that's associated with it. So every single piece of pipe and every flange and valve and elbow actually has a full data set that comes with it. Now, in oil and gas, for the most part, that data is still locked in documents. It's in binders, it's in folders. And other industries like automotive, aviation, aerospace, they've probably got about a two decade head start where they've been getting all of that information in usable data. Usable data can be as simple as a flat file or a spreadsheet, but they still have been getting that stuff in a usable format. And therefore they already have a lot of internal systems in place. But oil and gas has been getting all this valuable information locked in documents instead of in data. And therefore, they don't have access to all of this plethora of information. And they can't actually um, see true material traceability or even uh, look at the quality of this data that they're getting from their supply chain. So that's a really long way to say that um, what we're addressing is that oil and gas has a problem around garbage in, garbage out for data. They can't actually see what data they're getting, and therefore they need a tool and they need a platform to be able to get all the data in from their supply chain, translate it into one single language, and then also run QAQC on it so that they can ensure that as they pass it through to their partners in the operations of those assets and um, even transfer those assets to other parties that they're ensuring that they have accurate, accessible, and traceable data. Which I can only imagine for an industry that's so heavily regulated from a safety perspective, like everything that goes around that, not being able to access that information when and how you need it. I, can, I can't imagine how much time that adds to literally every single transaction and process. <laughs> Yeah, so we've been fortunate enough to have a handful of partners that have given us a few different uh, benefit analysis. And the the stat we kind of hang our hat on is for every million dollars of capital expenditure, uh, there's about 600 hours spent in data preparation. So that's the, that's the macro overarching um, category that we live in. And so there's about 600 hours. Now, if that 600 hours is to an engineering firm, that's a major pain point 
that that's a lot of money spent just trying to track down all this information and all this data. So substantial. So as a, what we're going to talk about today is business development, sales. So for starters, what, what's your what's your title at Vintry? Uh, Vice President of Business Development and Marketing. Okay. So just for fun, and this is something that always, from your perspective, you've got sales, you've got business development, you've got marketing, you've got average. There's a few words that get thrown around a little interchangeably. And this is one. When I got into the marketing industry, I was like, what is going on here? I see a lot of sales guys with marketing in their title, but then I see guys with business development. Maybe just start there and I might be going back way too basic, but I think it's important to give the audience kind of like level these terms out a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting Easy you on the spot, right? I'm putting you on the spot. From your, from your perspective, you're the guy in the microphone. So obviously your definition is what's going to hold up right now. Okay. So from our internal perspective, what I have under my portfolio is I've got our business development. So that is our direct sales. The number one tool that we have is direct B2B sales within our owner operator and their, their key partners within the supply chain. Then I also have our channel partnerships. So that in some organizations can be split out to a separate category, but right now I am looking after that because as a smaller organization, that is one of the best ways we can potentially scale is to build those strategic alliances with channel partners that can get our message out there. Um, and then finally with the marketing, I am overseeing that, working with the graphic designers and other content writers to make sure that our business development team have at least the baseline materials available so that they can provide the visuals, the documentation, and, and any other mediums that can complement their direct sales uh, portfolio. I, I I appreciate that explanation, and I think it's so critical. You know, as a marketer, sometimes you can get really a misalignment between sales and marketing, and then sales doesn't feel like they have what they need, or marketing is telling one version of the story, but it's not the version that the sales team knows resonates with the customer. And oftentimes, like those become silos, and I think it really does hurt organizations. So to hear how you guys are doing it, and sounds like you're also the hat needed to be picked up and put on, and you picked it up and and put it on because you've had a long career in as a sales and business development professional. Is that and is that is that my correct from our last chat? Yes, yes. So I've got. Uh, I was actually just looking at it. Almost two decades now of um, selling. Well, right from I think I was twelve when I started my first business of lawn care, nice. and uh, was able to convince the two cul-de-sacs nearby to let me uh, look after about half of the lawns. Um, I didn't realize at the time, but I was a true entrepreneur because. I then, once I got all those contracts uh, tentatively signed, I then convinced <laughs> my dad and my older brother to help fulfill all of those deliverables. So in true the sales fun line fashion- between sales and hustling right there. I don't know, I like it. <laughs> in true sales fashion, I wanted to make the deal and then not follow through on the deliverables. Um, but yeah, so I uh, before joining Venture, I spent a decade um, looking after corporate sales for technical staffing. So it was actually technology enabled services. Um, it was an organization based out of the US that had uh, some of the best processes and by far the best applicant tracking system out there. And uh, so I was actually able to very fortunate to adapt that and and take that over to Vintry and say, okay, this is this is how I was a translator there. And this is how I would be a translator here. 
And so to your previous question, what am I the VP of? If we could just throw out our own terms, I think I'm the VP of translation. That's such an interesting perspective, especially in a, in a, in a world of technically oriented, especially B2B sales. So much of what your role is, as, as I can imagine, or certainly in, in even in the capacity where we work alongside with sales teams, is trying to get that message in a way in the right order. So one, I can understand why it's relevant. I'm, first, I become aware of you. Then I understand if you're relevant. Then when I get into consideration, start getting into the technical. But it's so easy to jump to the technical too soon, which I think can really kind of almost push people away in the, in the sales process. Right. And and trying to gauge where you start, how detailed you go, even when you're asking me about Venture Technologies, I immediately have to think about, okay, do I go into the detail of assuming people know what the material data around a pipe is, or do I go as broad and wide as I possibly can and explain that literally major pipelines that are in our news every day are still being built with binders? So. So right. where, where, where do you start? How much do you assume that the audience knows? And then how do you take them from understanding the benefits? Because if we're talking about new technology, for the most part, your sales tactic is an educational sales tactic. So you have to lead with the benefits and you have to make sure that you hit enough benefits that you, you hook them on one of those benefits and, and make sure that you take the time to see if something has, has caught on. Um, but then you also go into, as you evolve, you start getting involved in the RFP process and all of a sudden now you're focusing on your features and your differentiation. So, I mean, the, the ability to know your audience before you actually say anything is, is something that, uh, most people will never figure out because it's kind of impossible. It is a secret. Well, I'm curious as a, as a, how has you been in this in, you know, two decades, how has the world changed for you with tools like LinkedIn or where you can get a little bit more view behind the scenes and maybe understand your customers a bit more? Cause obviously even 10 years ago, dating myself, I'm not sure when LinkedIn really became, there is more opportunity to get deeper. Like, I guess, how much do those tools play a part for you in terms of building out that process that you just described, like literally going through the stages of awareness right into RFP? Um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of different layers there. So from individuals looking at the, the salesperson, your LinkedIn profile is potentially your first impression on individuals. I know of a lot of different clients and, and well, now individuals in my network that when you reach out via phone, email, or cold LinkedIn, they'll take a quick look and if they see that you've jumped from four different sales positions they won't even remotely spend the time to talk to you right because there's so many individuals out there that have gotten burned by starting to build a relationship with a salesperson that salesperson moves after six months and then they're asked to just start all over again with a new point of contact and i mean that's the formula in so many different sales organizations where it's let's hire some really hungry young individuals that are eager to make a name for themselves. They're excited to work for almost minimum wage plus commission. And they'll just, they'll just work the process because the process works. 
uh, that one's still burned in my head from <laughs> when I was that. <laughs> that, 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 that felt like you were in a dark room and I was just like put in front of your screen like for hours on end. <laughs> right. But the problem is that that is the exact reason why so many clients don't trust salespeople, right? Because even if that person calling them is genuine and passionate about what they're selling, they're put in a position where it's make or break and they're either going to make it and stick around for a decade um, or they're going to fold themselves and, and say, this isn't for me, I'm out, or they're going to be removed because those work environments literally create a up or out situation where leadership is forced to remove the um, the non-performers. Otherwise, they eliminate any accountability or authority. So, so interesting. It's so true because I'm immediately thinking about some of the buddies I know that like are, they're jumping from job to job or they've been somewhere for a long time and they just have really settled in and it just culturally it aligns and it just works. As someone who's been on both sides of that, you know, been been probably worked in organizations like that versus creating your own. And you and I talked about this the first time we chatted, these universal formulas, like this is how we sell and we sell that one way. Kind of what's your philosophy around that? Because everyone's like, you know, it's like weight loss or getting rich. There's like, follow this formula, but it might not work for you. Like what's, what's your perspective on, on the sales formula, quote unquote, as I do air quotes on a podcast. <laughs> Oh, they definitely got it though, right? Everyone can hear when you're smiling when you're talking. They definitely <laughs> pick up when you're doing uh, air quotes. So um, <laughs> I guess what I would say is everyone has their style that will work for them. And what I teach my current team is that you can read a lot of books. You can take a lot of courses. Um, you can listen to a lot of managers but you have to take a little bite or two from each of them. And you have to not swing too far down one path or the other, because what's the most important in my perspective is coming across as credible and genuine. And if you are reciting someone else's process or their script even, which is even worse, or you are doing something that is not authentic to you, how can anyone ever trust you? Why, why would you even trust yourself? Yeah, Cause you're immediately or in, you, you can feel when someone's kind of almost inconsistent with themselves. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I remember this has got to be at least 12 years ago. Um, I was doing role plays with junior salespeople and one of the sales uh, individuals in Edmonton phoned me up and they're like, why were you so mean to that junior salesperson? And I'm like, I was mean. What did I, what did I do? You said that she sounded robotic. And I'm like, well, she, she did. We were doing a we were doing a role play, and like we're just supposed to be having a general conversation. And and from Calgary, I could tell she was reading word for word on a script. And that's that's not the point of these these role plays. The role plays is to be able to learn how to handle different objections and get surprised by an objection, and and be honest and be truthful and say, oh, I actually don't know that. Let me get back to you on that, or let me look into that. And, and make sure that we don't have sales individuals trying to blow smoke. But um, but coming back to it, as a typical salesperson, I love to go off on my tangents, but um, coming back to it, it's it's take a little bit and take what, what you think fits your brand, your personality. Um, 
I, I've seen some amazing introvert salespeople take some extrovert moves and styles and, and adapt it for their, their own personality. And I've seen some extroverts that work with an introvert, a technical salesperson, and then all of a sudden just get a whole other gear because they start to learn how powerful it is to actually listen and how powerful it is to show the customer that you've actively listened. So there's there's a million tips out there, right? And there is as many books as you and I could mention. Like it's it's that that section of the bookstore. If anyone who goes still goes to the bookstore, it's quite plentiful. <laughs> right, and I mean everything has seven steps, nine steps, ten steps. Um, I read every one of those one of those steps, and I'm like, okay, I like that part and that part. But for me, it's it's this. So I knew we were going to talk about this, and I actually. Uh, went and found an article that I really liked and it wrote out that credibility depends on trust and expertise. And for the most part, I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Except that in its at least digital transformation, the person that is comfortable doing B2B sales is definitely not the person that has expertise in digital transformation. So for, for me, my adaptation to that is credibility depends on trust and passion and authenticity and just the individual being genuine about the fact that they believe the tool or platform or solution that they're selling can actually help the person across from them. And they believe that, but then they also, back to my previous statement of translator, they try to be that translator that finds the way to communicate that to the client. I can only imagine when you're dealing with a solution that like when it's new and it's disruptive and it's changed from the way we've done it before that trust to like, you're going to be in it with me as we go through this and figure it out together. Cause you're not selling this perfectly canned end result that does. That sounds like it takes a very different formula than follow the script and sell the widget. Cause you guys aren't selling a widget you're selling. It's probably every client has a little bit of a different profile in terms of the way you solve their challenges. Although it's probably, it's all based around something similar, but yeah, I've got to trust that you're going to be with me for the journey. Cause it's going to be a journey. Right. And, and I think that's where some organizations really discount the value of their sales team. Um, their, whether it's their VPs or their BD associates, um, every level, because that partnership, that relationship that you build uh, with those clients, for the most part, that's usually why that client is willing to stick their neck out and try something new. There's not take, a lot of risk. Right? Yeah, there's not a lot of clients out there that read a case study sheet and a 10 page proposal and go, oh, this is totally worth me risking my brand and reputation within my organization that I've been at for 10 years. But when they speak to a handful of individuals at the organization and they start to build rapport and start to build trust with those individuals and they can see that, Hey, I don't think they have everything worked out, but they've got some things that look pretty valuable, valuable. And I believe that if I give them a, ch a shot or give them a chance, that they're going to come through and do everything in their power to make sure that this doesn't blow back in um, on me. That's where I find the first adopters are, are willing to build those partnerships and, and willing to, to take the chance. 
So at the end of the day, it still comes back to not much happens without some type of a relationship somewhere. There's still humans doing business with humans, which it's easy to, to take away and create all this process and that you know technology is going to change all that, but we still are. And I, the role of that salesperson, I think that it can also be almost diminished in the sense of the term, but that relationship builder and that point person on the trust that allows then the less of, it's kind of like you build it on that one leg of the stool and then you start building as many legs under that stool as fast as you can. I'm sure that's a sales book somewhere that I read. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. There's got to be a book on that. A hundred, I'm, I'm quite sure. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm sure it's on the shelf somewhere. I'm sure I drew it out or did a, pres- a PowerPoint presentation on it, on it, on it somewhere. So we're going through a significant transformation just in terms of the world around us everywhere. That's one thing I, you know, you and I joked about, this is a universal crisis. You know, everyone's going through something similar coming out of this. What do you see? Or is there anything that you see from the perspective of business development, whether you're a startup or an established company that's going to maybe rise to the top in terms of how to approach it. And I'm asking for your top five list now, just to be, just in case you weren't quite picking up on it. What what do you see going forward? Is the relationship going to be that like people are willing to look at things differently, but also probably more apprehensive? Like so many different variables floating around right now, just fear the unknown, the future. From a biz dev business development sales perspective, any way that you're kind of processing the future differently based on what we've just gone through in the last ten weeks or continue to go through? Yeah, continuation, right? So for us, I mean, the the word of 2020 is. Uh, part of 2020 has been deferred and uh, it's it's been the nicest term that we can get from a client or prospective client is uh, we're still interested but uh, this project this initiative whatever is is deferred and that makes sense right that that's that comes across from them as a genuine uh, reason uh, they're they're not they're not trying to um, make us spin our wheels or anything. They're they're simply saying, "Hey, it's just not now. It's it's not never. It's just not now." Um, what I'm noticing is I'm seeing a lot of resentment from the market uh, around all the organizations that have zero reason to be email blasting anyone and everyone on their email yes. list. Um, they, they, their product, their solution, their company doesn't relate to a um, work from home remotely or, or control different components of your organization remotely, but they're still desperately trying to figure out how they're relevant. Um, our, our product is about cleaning up data and making sure data is accurate. When all this happened, there, there was nothing that ours was really going to our solution was really going to impact anyone so we almost went into radio silence and just let everyone know that our team had transitioned safely and that uh, we were in a very fortunate circumstance that we were still status quo therefore we were helping out with um, some of the um, local organizations that were helping others that weren't in such a good situation but that was pretty much all we could really put out there there, there's nothing about a, a data preparation repository that helps you in these current headwinds. Um, now, the benefit of digital transformation getting the silver lining, I should say, of digital transformation getting a little bit more airtime, uh, getting more attention, organizations now realizing that 
they need to go into their data and they can't find the data they're looking for. Now it's starting to percolate, it's starting to bubble up that, oh, we need better access to better data. So, so now there's, there's a little bit more information there and we can leverage a lot of the themes that are going on out there and be relevant. But if we had come across in any other way, we would have lost all of our credibility and, and the fact that we're trying to make sure that we genuinely are helping our clients. There was, there was nothing I could have brought to any of my clients 10 weeks ago that, that would have benefited the them. Sheer, by the sheer amount of emails that you and I and everyone else who's listening has both received, we should have aired this podcast 10 weeks ago. So maybe some companies could have got ahead of that. You re- I didn't know how many people had my email address <laughs> that I do. And I'll be honest that I don't care about, but I care about less now that they harassed me with some ridiculous offer that was insensitive and irrelevant while they were telling me how much they cared about me. So it's easy to get cynical and every leader or anyone in corporate that I'm talking to is cynical about the same situation. Right well, I mean, it helped me. It helped me with my exact unsubscribe list. So that was, <laughs> that was one of my at-home projects. So yes. um, <laughs> I, I definitely wanted to make sure that our, our team was, was not lumped in there. And, and in, in amidst those, there were some really good stories and there were some really good case studies of, of how certain tools did help. I feel bad for those because they got lost in the just wave of just I, I don't even know what to call it. Like it just it just was a wave. It just it just came in and there's there's no way anyone was was able to actually take the time and, and sort through them for for the relevant ones. Um, so didn't even answer your question, but now I'll try to. <laughs> we're, 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 we're working around. It's good. I appreciate your discipline on bringing it back, though. I appreciate that. So, so a lot of the studies out there all say that most salespeople give up after a couple attempts. Almost half salespeople, they give up after one attempt. I, I think in this new era, uh, individuals are, are definitely going to have to get a lot more creative to, to stand out. They they are going to be in amongst so many noisy emails. And so they're going to have to find new creative ways to, to bring in referrals, to bring in uh, introductions, and to make sure that they're presenting something relevant out to the market that can translate to a introduction or a, or a sales opportunity. Cold email, cold calling, I mean, it's always gonna have a place. But I think where we're going to see a lot more um, sales models turn to is how do we just talk about something that we're a subject matter expert on? How do we let anyone and everyone tune in to learn about that? Keep it nice, short, and sweet so that they feel they got some benefit. And then in the last 30 seconds, do a little commercial and say, hey, email us if you want us to to give you the commercial version. Um, I'm noticing those are the webinars that I'm enjoying and therefore those are the webinars that we're going to start producing. But um, from that perspective, I think there's, there's going to be quite a shift there because webinars are very affordable. Like the barrier to entry is incredible. Like whether it's a Facebook live or an Instagram live, a podcast, like the barrier to entry is low. The barrier to good content sometimes feels a lot higher. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and people will flesh that out. Right. Because there'll be the really popular individuals that will get a bunch of first time viewers, 
but the individuals that actually create real content and create leadership and influence, those are the ones that'll get longtime subscribers and followers and individuals that spread spread the message that, hey, this is this is worth your worth your time, right? So um, and I think there's another factor that's going to really change through this headwind is the the overview of paid influencers and and non-paid influencers have always been very prevalent in b2c and the the retail level i think there's actually going to be a new a new stream of b2b um, influencers that that emerge from this and they're they're those individuals that are very well respected and and all they really do is is work on either a um, pure referral basis or or paid influence basis, but mm-hmm. they'll have a whole new revenue stream in in that world. And then um, the final one is that I think there's a lot of individuals from a from a sales standpoint that they were popular because of the mechanisms they had at their disposal, such as hockey games and football games and golf games and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And those individuals that also had true relationships will, will be able to morph into how do I still bring benefit and, and take care of my customers. But there's also for every one of those individuals that built real relationships with those individuals that they went and did networking events with, there's mm-hmm. 10 others that were literally just throwing tickets out in every direction it was, they it could. Was just, just about just about the party versus about adding true business value or personal value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so all the individuals. Yeah, were, that's an inter- that's interesting because you're right. That whole world that they that that ecosystem has been removed from the equation. Like those aren't even options anymore. The games, the tickets, the the the, the events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, if I if I were to forecast anything, which no one can, but those are going to be the farthest out from coming back. Right. Yes. Like, yeah, they're certainly at the end of the curve. Even if it does come back, it's it is it is way out. Yeah. Do so you that see, mechanism and, is 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 gone. Do you see less business development in salespeople because individuals can now create a lot more amplitude because of using technology? And for every five salespeople it took to contact fifty people, now that one person could get in front of fifty people, like literally at the snap of a of a, of a webinar. So I'm getting into like weird future projections, but as I'm thinking through what you're saying, I, I align and I agree because over the years as a marketer, you're seeing B two B and B two C come closer and closer together. Because as a consumer. I have my Amazon experience and my influence experience and I go to B2B, I don't become a different person. <laughs> I want, I demand a similar level of experience, maybe a big different buying cycle or more complexity, but there's a lot of things that I like over there that I kind of want to start seeing over here and maybe vice versa. Yeah. So, uh, a lot to unpack there. So <laughs> broad sweeping statements. There's a lot of hand waving and big hand talking that no one Tyler, else is I'm going to start taking notes. I'm being a bad uh, salesperson. I'm not taking notes to make sure I address <laughs> each of your each of your questions. Right. We've we've got, we got rapport in the first call. We're good. We're yeah. We're good. I called I called you my friend. I did the ultimate sales guy thing. Oh, my friend Jeff, my long lost buddy of two phone calls. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So what I would say there is. There will be a lot of people that think that way. However, I think there'll actually need to be a really good mix of individuals that, yes, can do that broad prospecting 
and can try to get in and generate those those early leads. But I actually think there's going to be a higher need of detail-oriented, strategic um, sales, not not sales closers, but um, just sales sales individuals that truly are researching and learning their companies that they're targeting. Um, so to your point, when I when I go and talk to someone about a TV, I expect them to know a handful of their products. They don't need to know a lot about me as their customer. They just need to do a couple of discovery questions and, and we can go and we can we can talk about features and benefits and, and go. When I go talk about um, a car, next level purchase, they better do their research and, and ask me a lot of different questions of why I want it. Um, why I'm looking for a new vehicle, what kind of new vehicle I'm looking for, and present viable options. When I'm making a purchase even bigger than that, which is in most case what the world I live in, where um, the average PO is in the hundreds of thousands to, to millions, I'm if I'm on the other side, I still want to know that I'm speaking to an individual that knows every little bit about my company. They're not going to phone me on a day where my stock dove 20% and say, hey, how's it going? Um, they're not going to um, reach out to us and say, oh, just just curious, do you have any new projects? A day after uh, three news articles have come out about our five new projects in, in the industry. So there's, there's still going to be a, a place for those individuals that truly learn and research their companies and not just so that they can speak to it from a credibility standpoint, but because they actually care whether or not their product or their solution will benefit the company. For us right now, we only benefit companies that are building new infrastructure. We will eventually help all companies that have the data on their legacy and their new. But today, we only benefit new infrastructure and, and new manufacturing and construction infrastructure. Therefore, we don't try to waste anyone's time that's not building anything new. We, we still would love to be introduced to them, but we're not going to do even close to a sales pitch because we respect their time. We're not, we're not here to waste their time. There's still going to be that need. And then I'll tie that back to um, one of your previous questions where you're saying, how is LinkedIn being used in this new era? That's where I think I talked about how the client is looking at the salesperson but the salesperson looking at the client, I'm, I'm dumbfounded how many times people don't look up who they're meeting with and research, A, the company they're at, the roles that they've been at, because they've most likely been in different roles, and then also looking at their previous roles. Because they, they if they do look at it, it's 30 seconds to see the picture of who they're meeting with. And it's a quick glimpse of like, okay, this is this is their title listed. And and there's not even discovery questions around like, is that actually your title? Some some people update their LinkedIn like every two years, three years. Um, other individuals- yeah, You can actually sound quite foolish by just assuming that it was accurate, which is kind of makes, they didn't update it, but it actually makes you look like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> other individuals that are much higher up in an organization don't put their actual title on there because they don't want to get bombarded by individuals. They put like a nice, just vague yeah, title. Um, 
listed there so that they don't get bombarded and they don't get um, hammered by sales sales calls and sales leads. So um, doing the actual research, doing the research into the projects, leveraging your own network to find out about the potential projects. I know every time I've ever brought up a project that isn't supposed to be known by the public or um, anything that's just not supposed to be known by the public, I'll get the raised eyebrow and all of a sudden the person's like, oh, oh, you're, you actually know people in this industry. Oh, you're, you're in the know. Yeah. yeah Credibility just went from a maybe to a seven or eight. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think that's what's, uh, what's going to overall happen is a lot of organizations are going to say, they're going to swing the pendulum way too hard and they're going to go, oh, I can do all this general lead and prospecting yeah, for $2 yeah. a lead and all this stuff. But if any of their sales needs that credibility, needs that detail orientation, they're going to need more individuals. And then they're going to have to figure out how to help those individuals that used to build those networks at the golf course and at the arena adapt to building those networks virtually. That makes it makes a lot of sense to me when I think about the funnel and I think about, you know, not only the different tactics from a marketing perspective, you use the different levels of the, of the funnel from awareness and that broad, but actually thinking about the different actual skills of those individuals and maybe their own personality traits and tendencies as you work your way down, especially in a B2B more technically oriented sales of, of thinking of that journey of the different types of people you need along the way to be the, maybe the broad face of the brand or the someone who's getting out there doing the doing the influencer marketing versus the person who really leans in and understands the details of your organization, what's important to you, where they add value to get to that technically oriented solution. Yeah. I mean, one company that I've just been doing a lot of research on just because I find it intriguing and I took in one of their um, former members is now a, a board director for um, a, a major up and coming startup in, in Calgary here. He was talking about uh, research in motions, RIMS storyline, mm -hmm. right? And um, I just find it so interesting that for a company that was so creative and really genius, how they got the BlackBerry into so many hands. I don't know if you know the story, but the story I don't. Was, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm leaning in. <laughs> the story that they shared was that it was, it was all about getting the original Blackberries in the hands of major CEOs, right? So they, they went from the top-down approach. So they got it into the CEO's hands. And I mean, this story specifically talk about, talked about Jack Welch and how every Monday they would get a phone call from whoever Jack Welch golfed with. And those three individuals needed to get their hands mm -hmm. on a Blackberry, right? Because Jack Welch, while on the golf course, was still doing emails. And then, but that story is is all over the place where every time the CEO then had access to emails on a regular basis, then the VPs demanded it, needed it. Then all of a sudden the directors and all they had to do is, was get a few key pilots going. And it was so interesting that a company that understood its customer base and understood how to influence and understood how to sell to it was also the same company that Oh, I, I'm going to mess up my timeline, but about a decade later, all of a sudden wasn't listening to the market anymore, wasn't paying attention to the market anymore and got passed by and just, just let themselves get lapped by everyone else. But in the beginning, 
it seemed like at least the reason I'm interested in it is it seemed like they were so heavily focused on listening to their sales individuals and letting mm -hmm. their sales individuals be the voice of the market and, and influence their path and influence their strategy. And then somewhere along the line, and, and I, I don't know this as a fact, but it just really comes across to me as somewhere along the line, they stopped listening to the sales. They stopped listening. They didn't let sales have a voice in product development. They didn't let sales have a voice in strategy. They just literally thought, oh, any, any general retail salesperson can sell, sell this now. There was no, there was no strategic commercial strategy um, conversation anymore. I think there's, I've just come to mind of many articles I've read, the Harvard Business Review and, you know, why the CMO has the shortest tenure and in the C-suite and different things like that, thinking about those CMOs or marketing leaders and more from marketing and sales, obviously the articles I get attracted to when they weren't involved in the P&L and weren't involved with the product and just designed to go out and sell stuff or build websites or launch campaigns, they failed miserably because they didn't connect the value chain from the insights at the customer level right up to you know, like, no, no, here's the product. We've already got it. You go and sell it. I don't even know if anybody wants it. No, no, it doesn't matter. That's your job. Go sell it. That mindset, it famously, there's famous case studies where it doesn't work over and over again, but yet it still seems like it, go, it does go on out there. I, being part of the startup community of Calgary and of Houston, uh, because we are fortunate to take part in um, the different organizations that help uh, the, the emerging technology companies of both, uh, both cities, it is actually quite surprising how many times uh, these businesses that are just making so many great strides all of a sudden decide to stop listening to the market and and they do th and they do that by they stop listening to their marketing individuals and their sales individuals they just they they turn that volume off because they've decided they're they're going down a path that they like well, it's 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 a little bit harder to always get that constant feedback and always have to reassess and and, and realign. Arguably, it's harder because it pays off better. But uh, you know, who's to say? I've you know, I I had this conversation with your wife, I believe, on one of the um, on on an earlier episode of the podcast. When like, what's your biggest piece of advice? Talk to your customer. Talk to your customer. Talk to your customer. Get out of the basement with your idea and go out there. And where most startups actually don't, they they miss that step altogether, even in before they even get to having a sales team. Yeah, it's 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 a fun dynamic, right? Because she's helped so many organizations at the start of their um, path mm -hmm. and, and making sure that their even their business plan is set up right. I've been around more of the established organizations that um, as they get going and and as they create a strategy, they they don't realize that they're they're on a path that needs minor adjustments at all times, right? The bigger your organization, the bigger the boat. And to turn a huge boat, yeah, that takes a lot of force and a lot of effort, a lot of change management. But you you have to stay in touch with the market so that you can do those micro adjustments. Um, the nice the nice part about nice part. Um, I don't know what the right word to use right now is, but one of the silver linings of the current circumstances and headwinds that we're in right now is the smaller organizations that are financially secure will be able to adapt as long as they pay attention and focus on adapting. Um, the larger organizations 
may struggle even more to to change and adapt and and um, stay relevant for their customers. It's it's an interesting like you know I, I remember a lot of articles in 08, 09 talking about the leapfrog opportunity in in a, in and I haven't read any of them recently, but I'm assuming it's still the same where you're that smaller organization and you can kind of watch and see where, you know, where the ball is going to be kind of mindset and that opportunity to leapfrog over a larger competitor that just by the time they lock into a strategy, the, the world around us may have changed because it is still very, you know, it's hard to, hard to plan for a future. None of us have seen before in, in, in this case, but it is, uh, there's never, there's never been a better time or a need to stay as connected with your customer as you can, because, you know, they're still figuring out what they need as well. So the closer you are, the chances of you hearing about it soon enough increases. But if you're not, it's going to be, it's really interesting how the next six to 24 months is going to unfold for all of us. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, you could have a strategy right now and you better reevaluate it in two months. That that is where the deferred is coming from, right? Is individuals <laughs> that are deferring it are just saying we don't want to stick with what we had, but we also don't want to overreact and swing the pendulum too hard the other way, and then realize that's that's not what's necessary either. So the wait the wait and see is 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 out there right now, and the business development individuals with really good partnerships and relationships are going to be continuing to reach out to their partners and their network and saying, Hey, is it still wait and see is what, what are the rumors? What's, what's the thought process? Mm -hmm. What's, what's the top three options out there? Um, they're, they're going to have the insight into what, what companies are going to be focused on. Yeah, they're gonna. You have the opportunity to be the closest to it when decisions start to get when the deferred things start coming off the shelf. And but yeah, if you're not in the conversation or top of mind, so, someone else will be. That's the unfortunate trade off with that. Mm -hmm. well, Jeff, thanks for your insights today and your and your perspective. We kind of went. We kind of went. We went on a long on a long journey, like two sales guys talking about different. <laughs> things. But no, I appreciate your perspective. And I really love the human side that you come back to it. Like, you know, make it personal, make it your own formula, but make it about adding value at all times. And uh, there's no magic pill around, around, around that, taking the time and actually being curious enough to care about what matters to your customer. That's an interesting requirement, that curiosity, that curiosity piece that uh, it's, a it's a great career if you are constantly curious because there is so much to learn. Every new business, there's a new. If you don't have that, it, it can feel like a lot of work. So I think it is an interesting criteria to hire for when you're looking at a sales team or sales members of your sales group. Yeah, on that one, I would say there's, there's two, for the most part, there's two individuals out there for, for sales teams to consider. There's the natural and then there's the deliberate. and. Uh, the deliberate is, uh, we were talking about uh, some organizations where they're doing personality assessments. They're the process-oriented individuals. They're potentially the introverts. They're potentially the technical sales um, people. And they will find a process that works, and they will run that process as long as you give them the freedom to allow them to make a process that works for them. The natural will not understand why they've been able to build such a great relationship they just will have a great relationship so just always be careful with those individuals when you promote them and ask them to then develop a sales team underneath them they won't have a formula to be able to give that to anyone so um i was in that exact boat in younger in my earlier in my career where i didn't know what i was doing right or what i was doing wrong 
I just knew what was working for me and knew what felt right. felt good and felt genuine. But I, I couldn't actually break anything down into a, a, a set formula. Which can be a challenge of a lot of, you know, quote unquote high performers where they kind of just do what they do and it, and it works out, but you've got to create that partnership and also respect. Cause I've seen, I've had a lot of friends that were in that case, got promoted and quote unquote failed based on the promotion because it, it just wasn't aligned with who they are yet. They were really good at the thing. So what do we do as companies? Well, we promote those people right away and sometimes, you know, create, create, create a failed position for someone who was very successful. I think I may have done that. That may have, I may have made that error along the way as a leader <laughs> for sure. Actually, just to be super honest. Oh yeah. We, I, I think that all that happens to everyone. Yes. Yeah, so I'm just, cause immediately I'm like, oh yeah, so-and-so uh, I screwed that up. <laughs> Honesty, got to got to live it. Jeff, what's the best way for if anyone's curious, one just wants to reach out and connect, or is curious about Ventry and what you guys are all about? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Jeff Boyle with Ventry Technologies on LinkedIn. I am uh, quite active, and uh, I would say anyone that reaches out with a direct ask or um, is is clear about what they're looking for, I get back to them. Uh, there's there's a lot of noise that's happening on LinkedIn, as we mentioned earlier, but. Uh, I just recently did another webinar and five people reached out with direct ass. I got back to all of them. The other four that just kind of put vague, I don't know what they were putting out there into the universe. <laughs> um, I hope to get back to them when, once I have time, but yeah, if anyone reaches out that way, uh, uh, there's, you said so much in that statement. I appreciated it. <laughs> there's the whole lesson of the podcast, of the episode right there in that last few statements. <laughs> yeah. So if they, if they reach out with a direct uh, ask or question or information they want to share, uh, would be happy to inter, um, connect. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. I had a direct ask and you responded well and you stepped up and thanks very much for, uh, for doing the episode and sharing your, uh, sharing your insights with, uh, with our audience. I appreciate it a lot. It was good getting to know you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>